Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, California's status has shifted dramatically with the election of Joe Biden as the next president, writes Cal Matters' Laurel Rosenhall. Goodbye, state of resistance. Hello, state of influence. When Vice President-elect Kamala Harris is sworn in, she'll be the first woman of color and first California Democrat to serve as vice president. We look at what that means for the Golden State and who might take over Harris's Senate seat. Join us. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Kamala Harris's history-making election as the first woman and first black and Asian-American vice president-elect was not lost on anyone as she walked to the podium Saturday to this song, Work That by Mary J. Blige. Less obvious was what her ascendancy means for California, which has rarely had representation in the White House. In this hour, we look at how California's status will shift in the federal government and the opportunity before Governor Newsom to appoint another history-making California senator to fill Harris's seat. Joining us is Marisa Lagos, politics correspondent for KQED and co-host of KQED's Political Breakdown Show. Hi, Marisa Lagos. Good morning, Mina. Also with us is Laurel Rosenhall, reporter covering California politics for Cal Matters. Laurel Rosenhall, thanks so much for being with us, too. Thanks for having me, Mina. So, Laurel, as you note, Harris has not been shy about emphasizing her California roots in her campaigns. Yeah, you know, when she began her run for the uh, Democratic presidential nomination, she did it on the steps of Oakland City Hall near where she was, the hospital where she was born. And she called herself a a proud daughter of Oakland. And she's held a lot of roles and built a powerful network here in California along the way, Marisa Lagos, ever since those early days. 
Yeah, I mean, I think what we've always seen with Kamala Harris is a real um, focus on the next step and and her desire to keep rising within the Democratic Party. I think she's done um, a really good job of kind of locking up a lot of that support. You know, I think we've talked about this before, Mina. San Francisco is an excellent place to learn politics, right? Like it is a very <laughs> rough and tumble town. And I think we often have um, just a better it, it is it's a better training ground than a lot of local governments and so being district attorney here winning that first race i think you can really track from that the signs of her strength and her pragmatism when it came to looking at the you know the moment she was in and what what she should run for and how she should position herself and those deep ties to the bay area is also what has helped build a very deep friendship with governor gavin newsom laurel rosenhall can you talk a little bit about their relationship. Yeah, you know, they've known each other for decades. They both came up together in Bay Area politics, obviously. They have a lot of the same supporters and donors. They've had the same political consultants. And they're broadly seen on the political scene as um, kind of like having a sibling rivalry. They're friends, they're allies. They have a lot of shared history. Um, of course, they're also both really ambitious. And um, they've managed so far to not clash and run against each other um, by, you know, Harris running for Senate a few years ago and Newsom running for governor. Um, but they are they're they, they know each other very well. Newsom has said that they've even gone on vacation together. And he did, has already commented this week that he's been in frequent uh, contact with with the vice president-elect since the election was called over the weekend. So we expect that that relationship um, will really be, you know, just mean a, a vast change for California in terms of going from this tumultuous relationship with the Trump administration um, to a Democratic administration where Newsom would already have natural alliances just because of, you know, sharing the same political party. But now on top of that, he has this, you know, longstanding friend um, in the White House, literally. Yes, I feel like it's worth Laurel Rosenhall taking just a step back to look at what these last four years have been like for California under Trump. I mean, I think a tumultuous relationship is probably the nicest way to put it. You know, it's been um, really, really uh, just intense feuding. Uh, there's no other way to say it. You know, the state has sued the Trump administration about 100 times and um, on all kinds of policy, health care, um, you know, immigration, environment, you know, across the board. Um, in fact, just, you know, this week, the California was at the Supreme Court defending the um, Affordable Care Act against changes that the Trump administration wants to make. So, um, you know, there's been a, a legal animosity. There's also been the sort of presidential mean tweets um, animosity with some firing back by, by Newsom, who, of course, ran his campaign for governor on a platform of being the one who would lead the state of resistance of, you know, basically being the one who would stick it to President Trump. And then um, and then after that, found himself in a position where, um, given the amount of the, the monumental disasters that we've had in our state between, you know, so many years of terrible wildfires and then now the pandemic, 
um, Newsom has had to figure out how to actually have a working relationship with Trump and his administration because disaster aid all comes from the federal government. So we've in, you know, we've seen in recent months Newsom having to thread this needle after so, so much attacking the Trump administration. He's really kind of bent over backwards to um, make peace and make nice and try to, you know, make things work. So to, in order to help the state. So it's, it's been very, very chaotic. Though Marisa Lagos, Trump officials like to point out that California has gotten a lot of money from the federal government under Trump's tenure, the CARES Act, wildfire, uh, disaster support, and so on. I mean, do you think that their view of it is fair, that ultimately Trump's bark, I guess, was was worse than his bite? I think that's true around disaster relief for sure. Um, but let's be clear. I mean, this is a president who repeatedly and has made no sort of secret of it has targeted, you know, blue cities, blue states as almost un-American as not part of what, you know, the America that he's serving. I mean, we saw the tax cuts, things like that with the uh, state and local um, exemptions erased really hurt places like California with its high cost of living and, and its higher tax structure. So yes, I mean, the federal government has not uh, reneged on its, its duty, really, its, its legal obligations around a lot of these disaster uh, relief efforts. But that's come at times uh, with the president you know, hinting that he might not give the money. Um, we had a dust up a few weeks ago where the, you know, the, the federal government actually denied some money for a fire and then FEMA came through with it. Um, but, you know, I think that what Democrats like Gavin Newsom want to see is the federal government go far beyond what they've been willing to under Trump and, and a Republican Congress. Um, they've been agitating for months to see another relief package that includes a significant amount of money for state and local governments um, to help them kind of backfill some of the effects of the recession. And, and that hasn't come through. So, you know, I, I don't think that Trump has um, gone as far as some people feared in terms of sort of alienating California. But it's been an easy, an easy relationship all along. Um, and just really quickly, I mean, I think it's interesting now. I, I, I think uh, Laurel's absolutely right that, and, and you're right, Mina, that Gavin Newsom and Kamala Harris have become close. But I would sort of put an asterisk there and say in recent years. I mean, until um, to some extent, I think her Senate run or, or especially his win as governor, they were very competitive. And yes, mm -hmm. they shared consultants and, and a lot of the same donors and even some friends. But I would say that for most of you know the time I covered them in California, they were both kind of looking at each other side eyed the entire time trying to figure out what the other one was doing um, and not a lot of trust there. And, you know, Harris really came out of the gate very early when Barbara Boxer announced her retirement in 2016 and said, I'm running for the seat, uh, really jumped on it. And we never, you know, got the full story as to whether that was because uh, Newsom said, well, I'm running for governor for sure, or what, what, what that was. But there is some understanding that there was some sort of sort of background, back, you know, backroom conversation, <laughs> at least between their people around making sure that they weren't competing against each other, um, because that was really the case, especially when they were in San Francisco. There was there was a lot of headbutting. It's true. We're talking with Marisa Lagos, politics correspondent for KQED, and Laura Rosenhall, who covers politics for Cal Matters. At Laura Rosenhall, one of the things that we were talking about just now was, of course, the disaster relief funding from the federal government. I mean, is that one of the specific ways that you see Harris making a difference in addressing California's needs as vice president? A lot more attention and a lot more money from the federal government? You know, it, it could be. I, I think that um, it, it from... Well, let me back up and just say that 
you know, any Democratic administration would be easier for for California to navigate, given that our state is completely controlled by Democrats at, you know, at at at, at all levels of state government. So um, and I don't necessarily obviously, you know, Kamala Harris is going to have a national outlook. She is not going to want to be perceived as playing favorites with anyone. But there is evidence from the last, you know, couple of vice presidents. I talked to people about what that was like. And I spoke with the speaker, an assembly speaker from the state of Delaware during, you know, Biden's vice presidency. And he just said that, you know, it, you have a the state will have a direct line and that the vice president will understand what's needed. There won't be as much need to explain or defend or rationalize it will be you know it will be sort of more of a of a given of, of what's needed so i i think it's possible i mean the, the trump administration has given california the disaster aid that it sought um but i just i think that beyond the aid there will be california may be sort of more of a priority than it's been in the past and and that could comes in come in terms of funding or it could come in other more subtle ways. And uh, one of the more subtle ways that uh, you've also brought up, Laurel Rosenhall, in your reporting is that we could end up with quite a few more prominent Californians in the administration. <laughs> yes, it's widely expected that, um, you know, there will be Californians who will um will be going to Washington to be part of this administration already, even just in the last few days, as the Biden um, Harris team has been putting out their uh, announcements of their transition team. There's numerous Californians on there. In fact, um, when they named their COVID-19 advisory board, um, there were three doctors from UCSF who were on that. And as they've put out more information yesterday about uh, people who will be working on the transitions for the various federal departments, whether it's Department of Justice, Department of Labor, Energy, Education, you know, there are numerous Californians from uh, from Stanford, from various UCs, from the Newsom administration, uh, from Los Angeles County, from big tech companies. Um, so there absolutely are a lot of Californians involved in the transition. And there are uh, rumors and speculation of, of many who could be appointed to, to various positions yep. in, the, in the new administration. We're talking about what a vice president Kamala Harris means for California. More after the break. Stay with us. This is Forum. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. 
Vice President-elect Kamala Harris will be the second Californian and first California Democrat to serve as vice president. Governor Newsom, who is now responsible for picking who will replace Harris in the Senate, said her new role will be profoundly significant for the state. We're looking at why with Marisa Lagos, politics correspondent at KQED and co-host of KQED's Political Breakdown Show, and Laura Rosenhall, reporter covering California politics for Cal Matters. What do you hope for in a vice president, Kamala Harris? What do you hope having a Californian in the White House will do for the Golden State? What California policies could you see enacted uh, at the federal level and would like to see? What do you think Newsom should do? Who should he appoint to the Senate seat that is now going to be vacated by Kamala Harris? Give us a call, 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum, or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. And we have a comment from Bill who writes, regarding the statement that California hasn't often had representation in the federal government, what about Nancy Pelosi? Uh, Well, I, I said hasn't had representation presentation in the White House. But Bill raises a good point in terms of, yes, uh, Marisa Lagos, California for a long time has had Nancy Pelosi as speaker and Kevin McCarthy as well in very high level positions in the House, too. And so can you talk a little bit about what that combination (laughs) could potentially mean as well? Yeah, well, I mean, it's an interesting question because I wouldn't say that Kevin McCarthy has really come to California's aid or backing in, in, a, in a number of levels. In fact, he's almost sided, I think, more with other states in some of the battles over money for California and questions of things like the aid I brought up for state and local governments. Um, but certainly... You know, I mentioned at the top the rough and tumble town this is. I think that we do in especially the Bay Area have a sort of outsized influence on politics, um, both statewide and nationally. Um, I know we'll get to who might be Kamala Harris's replacement in a moment, but I think that's going to be part of the conversation is should it be somebody from the southern part of the state because of that? Um, You know, but the truth is Pelosi, her role is far more than representing San Francisco, which I think she does very well. I know some progressives would push back on that. But if you look at her votes, um, you know, her job is to keep that caucus together. And so one of the reasons she gets so much um, grief from the left wing of the party is that she's constantly looking out for the flanks of her more moderate members who were broadly the reason that, that you know, Democrats got such a majority in 2018. And they did lose some of these seats this time around. And I think some of those are in districts where we'll keep seeing them swing back and forth potentially as we move forward forward. Um, But, you know, I think Pelosi in, you know, the the same way Kamala Harris will be, I mean, they're not going to be focused just on California, right? There's a big difference between being one congressperson or one senator or being in leadership or in the White House. Um, So certainly we have the ear of those folks, but I think they are you know, dedicated to serving the nation as a whole. This is something that Biden is really trying to stress right now that he sees himself as a president for all Americans. And so you're not going to necessarily see as openly, I think, the the sort of um, conversations only arguing for something that would benefit California or or maybe coastal or blue states. Um, However, obviously, behind closed doors, like Pelosi, Harris, or all, I think, I, I hope, you know, you can expect that they would be speaking on behalf of California in a lot of conversations as they also weigh the broader implications. Absolutely. Though, how has the role of Vice President Laura Rosenhall become more influential over the years? Yeah, you know, I um, I interviewed 
Joel Goldstein about that. He's one of the nation's sort of preeminent scholars on the vice presidency. And he said that it's just really, really changed over the years. Um, initially, in the early periods of American history, the vice president was really just about kind of working with the Senate. And, um, and now the vice president has become much more of a counselor and advisor that's changed over the last several decades. Um, and he thinks that Kamala Harris could become a very influential vice president. Why? Because of the relationship that Biden had with Barack Obama when Biden was vice president. You know, Barack Obama treated him as um, a real trusted advisor, was the so-called last person in the room when they when he had a big decision to make um, that he invited, you know, Biden onto many, many meetings, gave him important areas of policy to oversee, including the economic recovery from the recession. And Biden said in announcing that he wanted Harris as his running mate, that um, she would similarly be the last one in the room when he was making big decisions. So, um, you know, having her in that position, you know, with the president through, you know, through all of the decision making and, and weighing in, it's expected that she will be influential and that, you know, as a Californian, she will be keeping in mind what, what California needs. Again, not to be provincial and to not to necessarily favor California, but to be much more um, it's much more of a of a line of influence for our state than we've had at the White House in you know a generation. What specific policy initiatives, Lowell Rosenhall, do you think she could be tasked with? Well, so you know they haven't said. So just to be clear, this is based on you know some sort of reading of the tea leaves. But um, from you know she has obviously her career in in criminal justice as an attorney general and a and a district attorney. So that would make sense if there was, um, you know, work related to police reform or other criminal justice issues. Um, California has had enormous leadership in climate areas of climate policy nationwide. And during the Obama administration, um, Obama turned to California as a model for some, you know, national climate policy. So perhaps that could be an area. Um, obviously, there's um, Kamala Harris's leadership negotiating the um, mortgage settlement when she was attorney general. So perhaps, you know, something related to um, the, you know, housing and economic recovery that's needed from this pandemic. So those are some areas that people think where she could have influence. But again, nothing's officially been in announced. Again, we're talking with Lowell Rosenhall of Cal Matters, Marisa Lagos of KQED, and you, our listeners, are with us. Give us a call, 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786 if you want to weigh in on what you hope for in a Vice President Kamala Harris and what kind of influence California will have as a result in the White House. Also tell us, what who do you think Newsom should appoint to the Senate and why and what qualities are important to you in a California senator? You can get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED. Forum, email us at forum at kqed.org. Barbara writes, more dollars flow from California to the federal government than from the federal government to California. Wilhelm writes, what about Adam Schiff to replace Harris in the Senate? And Lori writes, do your guests think Senator Feinstein will retire and allow Newsom a second appointment now that Biden is about to be in the White House? Okay, before we start to go through some of these names, I was wondering if you could, Marisa Lagos, just put in context for us how big a prize a California Senate seat really is for politicians. 
I mean, it's huge because it's safe, usually, right? I mean, we saw Barbara Boxer and Dianne Feinstein were elected in 1992. Dianne Feinstein obviously is still in that seat. Boxer, uh, on her terms, retired in 2016. Um, so getting that edge up, you know, whoever gets appointed to this seat will have two years to raise their name ID, to be the incumbent, to raise the money. And so I wouldn't expect necessarily that that person wouldn't get a challenger. I think a lot of especially younger progressive people are feeling a little bit more energized to take on folks within their own party. Um, but it is it's a safe blue seat and it's very hard to beat an incumbent. Um, and so I think that it is it is a huge prize and one that I'm sure the governor is thinking very carefully about because for whoever he makes happy with this decision, he's going to disappoint a lot of other folks. And what do you think about the suggestion of an Adam Schiff? Do you think he's in the running? Um, I think, sure, but I think that, you know, and I know I'm going to make people mad about when I say this, but I think <laughs> Gavin Newsom is hard going to be very hard-pressed to, to name a white man to that seat. I mean, Kamala Harris is one of two black senators. She's the only female black senator. Um, we've never had a Latino or a Latina represent California in the U.S. Senate. Um I think that given the demographics of this state and of our senators having two women, which is it's relatively unusual as well in the U.S. Senate, um, that those are all going to be weighing on his mind. And and I would be very surprised if someone like Schiff um, was chosen ultimately, even, you know, even given all of obviously he's very well respected and liked within the party. And I think he has a bright future ahead. But I, I just think that that's a hard decision for Gavin Newsom to make, given kind of who brought him to the party in California, so to speak. And what do you think of Lori's question, Laurel? Do your guests think Senator Feinstein will retire and allow Newsom a second appointment? You know, I I don't expect that she would. But to be fair, that's not a question that I've been busy um, reporting on recently. So I haven't <laughs> asked that question of, of many people. But given she was just reelected two years ago um, and, you know, I, I don't know why, unless she had some, you know, something arise that, you know, would prevent her from doing her job. I don't know why she she would want to give Newsom another pick. But you know, Can again, I in, it's not. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I actually do. I think given I mean, she's 87 years old, first of all. Right. So she has another four years. That's a long time. Um, I think she's close with Newsom. Uh, you know, we've seen this in sort of historic politics that people I mean, this used to be very commonplace where senators would resign. Um, I mean, they might fill out their term, but before the final days of their term so that they, you know, so that the new incoming senator from their state could get seniority over the new other members. Um, I would guess that, you know, given her age and some of the criticisms we've seen and the fact that she is an ally of Newsom and probably feels like she could have her, his ear, it's not out of the realm of possibility. And I think, you know, given the changing kind of politics of California, I'm sure she would be delighted to have a hand in who replaces her because, as I just mentioned, they would have a leg up. Um, but, you know, she's still going strong, so <laughs> never say never. And it would be pretty remarkable for Newsom to get two picks, right? You know, two names that I have seen mentioned most often, um, speaking of two, not that he would ever get that, but as we're saying, who knows? Um, are Laurel Rosenhall, Alex Padilla, of course, California Secretary of State, and Attorney General Javier Becerra. Have you seen the same thing? Oh, yeah. And, you know, Alex Padilla is well known in, among political insiders as, you know, long having had ambitions 
of um, going to the United States Senate. He began his political career working for Dianne Feinstein. He um, is a close ally of Newsom's. He has, a, you know, a pretty amazing um, resume already, given his relative youth. He was on the Los Angeles City Council in his starting in his twenties. He served in the state legislature for many years before becoming Secretary of State. As Secretary of State, he's overseeing this enormous increase in voter registration that California has um, had these last few years. And he would be the first uh, Latino senator if he were appointed. Um, Javier Becerra, obviously, is the attorney general. Uh, you know, it seems, of course, his name is out there. It seems to me less likely that he would be appointed because he was appointed to fill Kamala Harris's position as attorney general when she was elected to the Senate. And I just think it would be really a, a strange political fluke for um, Javier Becerra to follow in Kamala Harris's footsteps in two different positions. But that doesn't mean it couldn't happen. That's just my own sort of personal reading of it. It seems odd for two different governors to pick the same person when there's a state full of qualified Democrats who, who, who want the seat. Marisa Lagos, I think it may have been in another Cal Matters piece where I saw Mike Madrid, the Republican strategist, being quoted as saying that he would be shocked if it was not a Latino or Latina senator. Um, so what kind of pressure do you think Newsom is under and does he welcome it because it is another history making opportunity? Um, I don't know if I don't know if he welcomes it, but I think um, I, I mean, of course, Mike Madrid is going to say that he's a long time and rightfully so, been a huge advocate for more Latinos and more Latino power in politics. Um, but I do think that that is the the main sort of pressure we're seeing sort of publicly placed on Newsom is not, you know, I think behind the scenes folks are jockeying for different names, um, individuals. I think publicly what we are seeing is a very concerted push from um, Latinx leaders in this state to pick somebody who is Latino or Latina. And I think that, you know, they're not making any bones about it. They feel like given the demographics here, given the fact that this has never happened, that that is who should be chosen. I mean, I found it really interesting. The Washington Post did this whole long story and they really um, positioned Becerra and Padilla as the kind of the top front runners because of this question around Latinx community um, and didn't mentioned the woman part which yes. I, as a woman i feel like is really important like i said it's very unusual to have two senators especially from a state as large and powerful as california that are women um other names that have been brought up um, are the East Bay Congresswoman Barbara Lee, uh, Los Angeles area Congresswoman Karen Bass. Bass, you'll remember, was in the running um, for or was thought to be at least for the vice presidential slot. Um, both of them could be seen as potentially more caretaker type appointments. I mean, I, I haven't heard directly from them that they wouldn't run, but they are both older. Bass made clear that if she had been chosen for VP, she wouldn't have been running for president. And so I think that's a consideration too. Or do you want to put somebody there who you feel like is going to you know, be able to run and, and keep that seat for a while? Or is it better to kind of, you know, not make anybody too mad by picking more of a caretaker? Um, and, I, and, and that's probably another mm. consideration as, in addition to the demographic ones that Newsom's weighing right now. Mm -hmm. Well, let me go to Vicki in Berkeley. Hi, Vicki. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. So I'm an advocate for Barbara Lee, and I'd like a really full discussion. She has a history. She has integrity when many people didn't, couldn't. And um, she, I think she could represent uh, 
California and the country incredibly well, and I'd like to hear a really thoughtful discussion. Uh, Vicki, thanks. Want to just <laughs> and, you know, we actually have quite a few comments to that. Hillary writes, Barbara Lee for Senate. She's a badass and would be a wonderful representative for California. The sister writes, Barbara Lee has represented California in her congressional seat so well for so long. She has the experience and deserves to be senator if she wants to serve in that capacity. Another listener writes, not Barbara Lee for Senate. She should be the Speaker of the House. We need a progressive that isn't already a key member of the House. So Laurel Rosenhall, start us off. Barbara Lee. What are her chances? Well, you know, she is in contention. As Maurice has said, there definitely um, are advocates out there saying that the next senator needs to be a woman. Um, it's, you know, it's interesting in California, we've been represented by two women in the state Senate for nearly 30 years. So it seems maybe not that groundbreaking to um, ha be, be represented by a woman senator. But the overall makeup of the Senate is women make up, I want to say something, it's around one quarter of the Senate are women. So um, there definitely are advocates saying that, you know, a woman and in particular a black woman, because Kamala Harris right now is the only black woman in the Senate. Um, that, black and Indian American, that, yes. Correct. And so uh, so there, there is definitely a con constituency lobbying for her. And I believe in the there was a poll by the U uh, University of Southern California recently, and um, Barbara Lee was the name that most voters seemed interested in um, uh, in that poll. However, you know, it's interesting. Most people were not familiar overall with the many names that were were proposed in this poll. Um, of those that were suggested, Barbara Lee was the most favored. But also, a lot of voters really didn't um, di didn't necessarily want someone who came out of politics. Interestingly, most people said in this poll they wanted Newsom to um, pick someone who was a fresh and new voice in politics. Seventy six percent of people. Um, in the poll said that. So they didn't necessarily think that someone who had a long political record was, was the way to go. Well, just to add one more little piece of this on Barbara Lee uh, and about uh, Kamala Harris being a biracial senator. I mean, Carol writes, it would be a travesty if Senator Harris' successor is not also a woman of color. I have great respect for Barbara Lee, but I am all for London breed. Her lived experience would be so important in the Senate. She has also done a superb job as mayor of San Francisco, and her youth suggests that she would have a long and fruitful career in the Senate. We'll hear more from our listeners after the break. Stay with us. I'm Mina Kim. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary.
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about what a Vice President Kamala Harris means for California and what kind of influence her California roots could have in the Biden-Harris administration. We're talking with Marisa Loglas, politics correspondent for KQED and co-host of KQED's Political Breakdown show. We're also talking with Laurel Rosenhall of CalMatter. She's a reporter who covers California politics deeply there. And you, our listeners, are with us. What do you hope having a Californian in the White House will do for the Golden State? Who do you think Newsom should appoint to the Senate to report place, Kamala Harris, and why? And what qualities are important to you in a California senator? You can give us a call at 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter or Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. The listener writes, a Latinx senator. It's about time. What about Becerra? And another listener writes, Javier Becerra, he's just awesome and deserves a promotion to the national scene. I mean, Marisa Lagos, Latinx senators, what about women? I mean, it's I've also yes. seen LA, LA Supervisor Hilda Solis on mm-hmm. that list, State Senator Maria Durazo. I mean, who are in contention? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> There's so many considerations that somebody has to make. Uh, just quickly on the Barbalee thing, I have heard from people, um, maybe involved at, at least close to Kamala, that she is definitely on the you know on the short list. I don't, I don't think I genuinely don't think the governor has made a decision yet. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, Padilla I think comes up so much um, because he has made no secret of his or at least internally i mean we've we've all been hearing for years that he had his eye on feinstein seat um he also backed newsom very early against antonio villaragosa who was served with um padilla on the la city council um and even though they weren't like necessarily super close allies, I mean, there's this like collegiality that often happens when those sorts of races happen. And so the fact that Padilla backed Newsom early, I think gave him some credibility in LA, especially with the Latino community. Um, and that's something that, you know, someone like Newsom's not going to forget. But I agree. I mean, I, I think, um, I've been saying publicly, I, 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 I find it hard to believe that in this moment, given the demographics, I mean, the, the U.S. Senate ironically has has a better, um, I think, statistical track record in terms of female gender, you know, representation than a lot of bodies. But um, it still seems like, given the last few years and the conversations we've been having about women in politics, that that's a hard sell to make. But you know, like 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 we're covering all of these things right now, right, Mina? That he's going to have to think about. You know, whether it's these different communities within California, whether it's you know who's historically supported him. Um, I'm sure Kamala Harris has some thoughts on who she'd like to yeah. see replace her. And she hasn't said them publicly, but I would be surprised if she and the governor haven't been talking about this for some time to some extent. And of course, the other point you made, uh, Marisa, was electability, right? I mean, he's yeah. thinking about somebody who would be easily reelected uh after the two years or who is a caretaker and then he doesn't have that hanging over his head that he essentially stacked the deck for Mm. one particular person right and those are both very i mean but do you think that's in his personality typically i mean do you think Newsom (laughs) would appoint a caretaker um maybe because like like given all the calls we're getting if he were to replace a you know to to name a barbara lee or a karen bass that would be um i think I, I think that that would check some boxes as well and, and excite some people, even if they weren't going to run again. I should note, Mina, I actually asked Barbara this a couple of weeks ago on Political Breakdown, um, you know, just said, hey, if if Kamala and, and, and Biden win, like who what type of person do you think the governor should appoint? Maybe someone like you. And she laughed very hard at that, which I, and I took as a sign that she's probably interested. Hmm. 
Well, uh, Kalpana tweets, I'm hoping for justice reform across the country, decriminalizing drug addiction and reform and overhaul of the election laws. I mean, I think one of the things, Laura Rosenhall, that Kalpana's tweet is raising is maybe what kind of California policies or things that uh, the administration has shown interest in could be enacted at the federal level. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, you know, it'll be really interesting to see what role Kamala Harris has in that. Obviously, her um, record in California was seen as someone who, you know, played it safe on the criminal justice reforms that she advocated for here. There were, um, you know, proposals in the legislature that, you know, for example, to do independent investigations of police shootings or she didn't, um, you know, get behind that. On the other hand, she did while she was at the uh, while she was attorney general, she made um, she put a, a body camera requirement on the state level law enforcement officers that that was a first and um, began a, a new system of data collection that um, really has led to now that we're a few years into it, there really is a lot more information about um, about law enforcement activities across the state than we've had in the past. Um, I think that what the big question is, as far as on policy, is what happens with the United States Senate and whether there is one party control in Congress or whether you have a you know Democratic House and a Republican Senate, in which case um, you know legislation will be difficult, and the question becomes you know what can be done at the executive level on on, on those various issues. Well, let me go to some more comments. Barbara writes, my first choice to replace Harris is Karen Bass. Lewis writes, no mention of Ro Khanna. He's definitely on many Californians' radar. And Kurt writes, Governor Newsom should pick Nanette Diaz-Baragan from the San Pedro area to replace Kamala Harris. I'm a big fan. Let me go to... Can I, can I jump into Yeah, yeah. I just got a text by, I won't I won't shout them out, but a, a, a local politician who points out, don't forget... The LGBT community, um, another name that's come up is Robert Garcia, uh, the Long Beach mayor. He's young. He's Latino. He is openly gay. He lost both of his parents to COVID um, and has been really seen as a rising star in California. Um, but I think all the names that our listeners have brought up, I have heard as well. Um, and I think, I mean, it's it's really just this embarrassment of riches and absolutely no pressure on Newsom. <laughs> right. But you, but you're, uh, the person who texted you is absolutely right. I mean, Long Beach Mayor Robert Garcia is also a name I have seen on multiple lists as well. But let me get some more callers in here. Tracy in Redwood City. Hi, Tracy. Hi. Uh, thanks for taking my call. One, my first question was a little late. You guys talked about it earlier. Uh, but you'd mentioned whether California will have any benefit from having a Californian in the White House. And I was thinking back to when Reagan was there. Do you guys have any recollection of California benefiting from that? And then secondly, I think I read a, an opinion piece in the Chronicle a couple of days ago where the individual was campaigning for that, that, that we should have a special election uh, to select Kamala Harris's mm. replacement. I'm wondering if your guest could comment on that. Tracy, thanks. Yes, that's also been raised. But Lowell Rosenhall, in terms of, you know, the benefit of having Reagan in the White House, can you point to anything concrete? Well, I did talk to um, a, a supervisor from San Luis Obispo County who worked in Reagan's White House. And what he said was that really the influence of the state came from 
the people that Reagan brought with him. And many of them were Californians that he brought, you know, um, several people from California who had high ranking positions in his cabinet who were advisors. And so in that sense, the state had influence. Um, as to the other question, um, that was Christine Pelosi, that was the speaker's daughter who had that piece in the Chronicle recently advocating for the special election. And um, I haven't heard much energy of, around that. It, I'm not sure how many problems that solves for Newsom or, um, or, or whether that, you know, will pick up steam. It, it seems like like he's he, he does seem sort of burdened by this decision. He keeps kind of talking about it, saying it's vexing, it's challenging. He's being overwhelmed with um, pitches and lobbying. Um, so, you know, maybe that would be a way to get out of it. But in any event, I think he would still have to appoint someone for even the short uh, term until the special election. So I'm not sure if it if it completely absolves him from the decision. And frankly, as a governor, it, it, it's one of the very unusual, you know, powers that he has to make this appointment. And it's an opportunity for his legacy potentially to last beyond his own years in office if he appoints someone who is reelected and does have a career, you know, in in representing California in Washington for decades to come. It would be a way for him to to leave his legacy. Well, and Mina, can I jump in? Of course. Quickly? Two things. I mean, one is that um, I think let's not forget, too, if he picks somebody who's holding another office, then they, he gets to pick their replacement, too. So there's this kind of domino effect that that is, I think, very attractive. You know, if you pick Alex Padilla, then you get to appoint a secretary of state and give yes. them a leg up. Yes. Um, and, um, you, know, you know, I think Newsom also, let's look at his history. Let's not forget 2004, opening up City Hall to gay marriage, backing marijuana legalization, um, really coming out, I think, very strongly among the governors at the beginning of COVID and, and taking the lead on this. He likes to make a splash. So I think that that will be a consideration here. I would look for somebody even if it's a caretaker but that, that that has some sort of significance whether it's a progressive whether it's a, a latino person um and just on the rokana issue um his name has come up i think i i don't know how close he and the governor are he's definitely a little bit more controversial i think within the democratic party so that one has surprised me but he's certainly been named on a lot of lists that i've seen well, this is Snow writes, Newsom should fill Harris's seat with Kevin DeLeon. Newsom should not check the boxes and only fill it with someone who has Kamala Harris's appearance. The replacement should not be an ally or a San Francisco insider deal or a deal hatched with Feinstein's involvement. If Newsom picks the wrong person, then it's going to be time to work against him from now on. The media coverage of this issue has been poor. Robert writes, Californians need a senator like Representative Katie Porter, who will fight and be a counterweight to Dianne Feinstein. Um, and then I'd like to get your reaction to this comment from Alex, who writes, we just affirmed by vote that we don't want gender or race considered for things like appointments and college admissions. But here we are talking not about how qualified a candidate for the Senate appointment might be, but what gender and ethnicity they are. Laurel or, or Marisa, do you want to weigh in on Alex's point here? I mean, I think Marisa? that, yeah, I mean, I, I, I said this at the beginning, I'm, I get a lot of pushback when we talk about this, but I, I just I do think it's part of the consideration. And and I think you also have to think about the fact that, I mean, it's pretty remarkable that in this state we have never had a Latino senator. Right. So I, it's not completely irrelevant. I mean, representation matters. We've seen that over and over again. And I, I, I don't think anyone we're talking about is unqualified. Right. So 
you know, this it is the affirmative action conversation, and it's a complicated one, and one that obviously California voters just rejected when it comes to UC admissions and and, and public hiring. Um, but you know, Newsom's not bound by any of that in this decision, and he is looking at his constituencies and thinking about what this means for them and for his future and for the state. Um, and I, I just I, I I understand what that people are turned off by this conversation, but I just think that. If you look at the history of our government, um, it, it has been largely dominated by white men and they have had a leg up because of historic, you know, racism and, and sexism and other things. It's not that they've always been the best candidate for the job, per se. So this is an opportunity that a governor gets to put his thumb on the scale in a different way um and it can lead and it has led in the past in many positions to people keeping those jobs who may not have had the opportunity to before i mean london breed came up she may not be mayor right now if edley hadn't passed away suddenly and she had taken that role as uh the board of supervisors president diane feinstein became mayor in san francisco because of that you know horrific shooting of george moscone and, and harvey milk and so um We've often seen women and other minority groups only get really powerful positions because of almost a fluke of history, Yes, um, but then be able to keep them. Well, I think it's hard to gauge how important representation is at the highest levels of the federal government if you have always had that level of representation at the highest levels of the federal government. Uh, let me go to Moose in Walnut Creek. Hi, Moose. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, just want to and one thing I heard that there is electability. I think anyone who is who is a liberal Democrat in California will be reelected. Uh, number two, I'm a Bernie Sanders fan. Uh, of course, I will always vote for anyone who is liberal. But I think California should lead in that direction of beefing up like more of a, a social uh, democratic socialism. Uh, there is a huge uh, disconnect of what the definition of that is in the United States. And California should take the lead, support Bernie Sanders in that direction, uh, because it does help uh, the middle class better than any other platform that I can see. Uh, the other part is I, I'm a huge fan of Katie Porter because of who she is, because of like I've watched her nail down uh, and she's a good fighter. And we need people like that. If we think about someone who is not an, uh, uh, an outsider, he might like the experience or she might like the experience. I think we need someone who understands how things work and who can hit the ground running. It's no more fun to watch anything at the, in D.C. And California, as the biggest state, should lead and we should own it. Thank you. Uh, Moose, thanks for sharing that. And uh, let me remind listeners that we're talking about Kamala Harris's uh, vacant Senate seat or opening up. Uh, she is vice president-elect. We're talking about what that means for California as well. We're talking with Marisa Lagos, politics correspondent for KQED and co-host of KQED's Political Breakdown, and Laurel Rosenhall, reporter covering California politics for Cal Matters. And you're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. And uh, let me also just read a few more of these comments. One is just a simple, what is the timing for a Senate nomination and when would that person take office? Can you remind us Laurel Rosenhall when this all needs to happen? Well, it'll be sometime between now and January, but we don't really know specifically more, any more specifically than that. And Newsom was asked this week if he could give a specific timeline, and he said no. He had been 
uh, he just wouldn't, you know, he said he wouldn't give a timeline. So um, it, it'll it'll depend on, you know, when Senator Harris uh, leaves her her place. Obviously, the administration in Washington will begin on January 20th. So it'll be sometime between now and then exactly when I mean, I have heard some speculation about maybe some some small benefits of, of doing it sooner rather than later so that the new person could get a little bit of edge in the seniority in the, in the Senate, which is very important there, but it would be a, um, a, a small edge. Well, let me go to David in Oakland. Hi, David. Hi, good morning. Thank you very much for taking the call. I live in Oakland and Barbara Lee represents me and all that means for many years. However, like another previous caller, I wanted to see her as Speaker of the House when Nancy Pelosi steps down. And since Karen Bass did such a magnificent job, although the Republican senators were just, you know what, the DJT, uh, I'd like to see her. But I suspect the governor may only appoint a placekeeper in that I think he term limits out after this term, and I think he would like to run for U.S. Senator, thus he's not going to appoint a strong black woman who would pose a challenge to him and his election hopes. Well, a little correction there, yeah. yeah. Has until his term goes until this current term goes until 2022, and then he could run for re-election for another four years as governor if he wanted to. Well, thanks for weighing in on that. Thanks, Laurel Rosenhall, for that as well. And you know, the speculation is wild, Marisa Lagos. I mean, uh, leave us with some final thoughts about what you are watching, because ultimately, a lot of these names that are being floated for Senate for Senator are also people who will likely see themselves in the administration in some role or another. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that is on a, the timing question. Final thought is like, I think. The Newsom administration is watching to see who gets appointed or, or brought into the transition and potential administration. And then, you know, Harris has to step down and that timing is kind of on her end. So I think that that's going to be um, something to watch, too. I'm Like I said, I'm sure they're in, in conversations and there's not a huge rush because I don't think anyone except for some members of Congress are going to be sworn in before the, the big swearing in next year. Marisa Lagos of KQED, Laurel Rosenhall of Cal Matters. Thanks to both of you. Also, thanks to Ariana Prail for producing today's segment and our listeners for their questions and comments. Always great to hear them weigh in. I'm Mina Kim. This is Forum. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.